We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Well, Tom, we have a date for the new name and new logo unveiling. Groundhog Day, February 2nd. <laughs> um, apropos, uh, are you in Destin, Florida, right now? Yeah, actually, it's technically it's Miramar Beach. Oh, Miramar I Beach. I mean, most people know, know Destin's right, right, like five, 100 feet away. But, and everyone knows Destin. Nobody knows Miramar Beach. But, yes. I have been in Florida watching the news of all the snow oh and God. all the traffic problems. I feel so bad for those people who I can't fathom what I would have been doing to have been stuck on I-95 for like 12, 13 hours. You, That's just unbelievable. You got out of town just in time. I have to tell you that this storm yesterday... First of all, the podcast, for those of you wondering, um, it got out really late yesterday because we lost power. Um, We didn't have power at home for, I think, nearly 12 hours. We finally got it back last night. Um, And the power was out here in the studio, and so I couldn't record the podcast. Um, And, you know, it finally came back on. They had a generator and it kicked in and eventually it came back on, but it didn't come on right away because no one was here because no one had made it into work. Anyway, um, I left for the radio show yesterday morning. I left the house at about 10 of five, I guess. And it was snowing hard, but it was just wet. You know, it was starting to stick to like the tops of cars and the grass a little bit. When I walked out of here at 9 a.m. yesterday, because um, I was just going to go get some coffee and then I was going to come back, and I, you know me, I like driving around in the snow and seeing it. There were already in the three and a half hours after arriving at the studio, there was like five inches on the ground. And it was wow. a heavy, wet snow where trees were buckling, power lines were getting snapped. It was... I mean, all, all told, I mean, basically anywhere from like seven to, depending on where you live, up to a foot or more fell in like six hours. That was the thing, that it basically all happened in like six to eight hours. And and by the way, then got very cold, and everything is ice right now. And there's another storm coming 
for Thursday night into Friday, and then maybe another yeah, one over the weekend and another one next week. Like we went from I saw that. The, the most pleasant fall, which you basically were able to live through here, into winter overnight, and you are in a nice place right now. Good for you. You don't miss it. Yes. It's, no, it was, it, it was cold here last two nights. It was 37 degrees. Really? At night. Yes, it was. And only like 52 during the day yesterday. But nobody was shoveling anything except bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it was the, the, the 95, the scenes of I-95 where people, people, I think, in some cases might still be in cars. I don't know. Yeah. I, personally, I, look, if you're, uh, if you're not mobile, it's, it's a serious situation, obviously. Um, if you are mobile, at some point, you know, the car goes over to the side of the road and I get out and I start hoofing it to the next exit until I get to a place where there's, you know, a warm, where there's a bar, a restaurant, I can start drinking until, until an Uber can come get me and take me in some other direction around the traffic. But I know it was a very serious situation. I don't mean to make light of it, but it does remind me of our good friend, Richard Doc Walker and the winter survival kit that he would put together and put into his car in September. <laughs> he had, he literally would spend hours in September. This is true. Our good friend Doc Walker has in the trunk of his vehicle every winter survival item that you would need in case he had been on 95 yesterday and needed to stay in his car for 15 hours. Well, let's not forget, he's a California guy. I know. He is, but he's you know? been here a long time. That's true. Yeah, look, one thing I will say, and this is something I've, I've, I've done for a long time, I tend to keep a full tank of gas as much as possible. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't fill up every day, uh-huh. but I, I don't let my gas tank go below half a tank usually. <laughs> I think there was because a time. Of, because of the event that something like this or something similar could happen, and you need your car running. All this time, I think it was the day, the Thursday before Christmas Eve, because I took Christmas Eve off. I left here, and I think I had like seven miles left of gas. So I went to the gas station, and I literally was driving there, wondering if I was going to make it. Um, I uh, I tend not to think about the those things. I, as you know, I don't think I've ever let a major. And we've had some major snowstorms. We had them when you and I were working together. You know, a couple of yes. blizzards, and we made it to work, or I did anyway. And then you came back on a on a flight early, um, to help out from Miami that one year. I do I do remember yes. that. That was the year I went back early when I told our fearless leader Dennis. Um, hey, dude, you if you don't start sending people back now, there's going to be nobody to do shows on Monday, which is the day after the Super Bowl. And he said, yeah, we're not doing that. And I and and I remember what I did. I, I took a flight to Richmond yeah. and drove home in that blizzard. And I, I, I drove I drove you to the Fort Lauderdale airport <laughs> on a Friday, Friday afternoon. Right. And uh, and uh, yeah. And you, 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 you couldn't get fly into D.C., so you flew into Richmond. Flew into Richmond, rented an SUV, and drove in that blizzard on a Friday night back home. Look, 
part it was really not about being available to come into work on Monday, which it turned out I was the only one back and ended up being on the air the entire day the that following Monday because they didn't send anybody back. Um, it was because I didn't want to miss the blizzard. I mean, this was going to be an all-time blizzard that weekend. I mean, it was like a two-foot – it was the second two-foot storm we had gotten that winter. Um, and uh, and I didn't want to miss it, especially on a weekend and Super Bowl weekend. And it's like, you know, uh, most people would say, wait a minute, you had a chance to stay w- – which Super Bowl was it? Were, were, were we in South Florida or we were we in Phoenix? Yeah, no, we were in Miami. We were in South Florida. That's right. We were in Miami. Um, and I, um, but I didn't want to miss the blizzard. So I got back and sure enough, like, you know, uh, that day they're like, oh man, do you think you could get in early? You know, because, um, Tony can't do a show and we can't do shows from down here because we don't have the line anymore. And and I'm like, yeah, it's a good thing. I guess I came back. And then you, I think you were the first one to get back and remember my flight. My flight uh, was not canceled. I flew out early Monday morning. Right. And mine went as scheduled, so I landed at BWI like about 11 or noon or something like that. Uh, and uh, what were you going to say? I mean, remember, you remember De- Dennis did not want to pay for a taxi. I, that's what I remember. Station. I, yes. I, all I remember was saying, do me a favor, just get into your car or get into a cab and get here because I can't do you know, eight hours by myself. I really don't want to do eight hours by myself. Will you please get back here? And you're like, of course. And then they weren't going to pay the mileage or the cab fare for you to come back yeah. and work. Well, you, why yeah. Why do we need to do that? Sheehan's there. He'll do it the whole day. <laughs> but you did. You came back. And you and yeah. I ended up yeah. doing that whole afternoon. Was that the yeah. storm where Andy called in from the parking lot? Yes, it is. Andy <laughs> landed later. Yeah, and he he didn't he drove to the airport, so his car was parked at BWI, and uh, you know the the shuttle took him to his car, and he was on the phone with us live when he found his car. Oh yeah, and he said, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was so funny." Yeah, and then and he had bought this little this little beach shovel he bought in Fort Lauderdale. And he was so proud of this little beach shovel he bought, you know, that he was going to use to dig his car out. You know, he might as well have used a spoon to dig his car out with all the snow. I th- so we had that that afternoon. And then what is my recollection, too, and maybe this was a different storm when you and I were hosting. Because sometimes if we had issues or if they were off, Tommy and I would do like our, our midday slot, and then we would also usually fill in for Andy and Steve if both of them were out, and we would do afternoon drive if they were out. But was that the day then Then Zabe basically dialed in because he got home, and then the four of us basically did the final hour with Andy on cell phone, Zabe from home, and you and I in the studio, or is that another time? That might have been the same time. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. I remember that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, and it, you know, it was the day, it was the day after the Super Bowl. I can't even remember what Super Bowl that was. And uh, you drove me home. And I drove. That you was home. the Peyton. That was the the Peyton Super Bowl where he won over New Orleans with yeah, Colts. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, over the Saints, exactly. Um, 
Memories. Uh, speaking of memories, so the breaking news this morning uh, is that the Washington football team announced that they are going to unveil the new name of the team and the new logo of the team on February 2nd. Uh, that is, by the way, a Wednesday following the two championship games and the lead-up to the Pro Bowl, um, which is between the championship games and the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is February 13th, the latest we've ever had a Super Bowl because we have a 17-game schedule. Now, anyway, um, at, at simultaneous with the announcement, which, by the way, uh, simultaneous with the announcement about the announcement date, which is going to happen on the Today Show on February 2nd. They're going to make the announcement. It's, trust me, it's not going to be Dan, right? I think it'll be Jason and may, maybe Tanya, or maybe it's just Jason. But there's no way Snyder's on the Today Show with Hoda and Savannah announcing the name of the new team, right? No. No. No, I, I, absolutely not. Dan and his, and his grizzly Adams beard with, with his, uh, his sweatsuit? <laughs> I don't think so. So... Um, they also launched the finale of their Making the Brand series, which they smartly, um, with a lot of uh, suggestions from various people around town, cut off once the season started because it was getting such a negative reaction. And once the game started, it was like enough of this you know bullshit new name. Either tell us the new name or shut the F up. Um, but now that the season is officially over from a competitive standpoint, they came out with their finale of making the brand. And they announced what the name isn't going to be. Here's what Jason Wright and a legal advisor to the, uh, to the, to the new branding team for the Washington football team. This was their conversation on making the brand about what name it's not going to be. Fan feedback has been crucial as a part of this process. And over the last 18 months, many of you have shared very vocally your love for one name in particular, Wolves, and specifically Red Wolves. We noticed this early on, and we immediately started exploring it as a serious contender. And it made it all the way through to the end stages of the process. The legal team is part of the creative process, but also engaging in very technical work, right? looking at all the similar names and logos that might be out in the marketplace and how to make sure that you create enough distance from rights that other folks have that you don't get yourself into legal trouble. Yes, searching the intellectual property landscape is extraordinarily complicated for something like this that's going to be this famous and this widely used. As a result of the comprehensive vetting process that we had to go down, we became aware that these names were not viable options because of existing trademarks held by other teams. So for you Red Wolves and Wolves fans, uh, it's not going to be that. Um, too much legal uh, challenges, it sounds like, trademark issues, etc. So it's not going to be the Red Wolves or the Wolves. You know, if you remember, Tommy, from back in... 
you know, early in the season when there was that list that came out of eight names, and of that eight, it was going to be down to three. That was kind of the confusion with one of their making of the brand episodes, and then Tanya went on and confirmed it on the Adam Schefter podcast, and then Jason came back and said, no, actually, that isn't what the list was. I mean, once again, you know, can't find their their backside with either hand, um, the communication and lack thereof in that organization. But that list, if we take that list as legit of the final eight, that list included the Armada, the Brigade, the Commanders, the Defenders, the Presidents, the Red Hogs, the Red Wolves, and the Washington football team. I mentioned, you know, a few months ago that I had learned that it was not going to be the Washington football team or Washington FC or FC Washington, nothing city centric in name. So if you take that out and now you take the Red Wolves out, I was also told that it was going to be a plural name, that there would be an S on the, on the end of it. So now you eliminate Red Wolves, Washington football team, Armada and Brigade. You are left with commanders, defenders, presidents, and red hogs. Now, somebody sent me this thing about admirals. Um, somebody tweeted it to me that there was a redirect from WashingtonAdmirals.com to the WashingtonFootballTeam.com. Look, I, I'm not into doing all this research because I'm going to tell you in a moment that I don't really care that much about any of this, but. Um, anybody can squat on a URL and redirect it anywhere you want. So I wouldn't take that as an indication that it's admirals. In fact, I'd bet against it. I would bet on the commanders because the new uniform that you could see in this new making of the brand um, video, uh, first of all, reveals a uniform that's burgundy and gold with gold numbers and kind of similar to their alt uniforms that they wear homecoming weekend. That's what it looked like to me anyway. I'm not a uniform expert. But there are also stars on like the shoulders or the sleeves of the jerseys. Like maybe general stars or commander stars. And it seems like a lot of people believe it's going to be the commanders. I don't know the reasons why. And maybe others in the market have more information on what it is going to be, but that would be what I would bet on. I don't care though, Tom, yeah. do you? I mean, well, I, no, I don't, I don't particularly care. I mean, there's, there's, I think, and even for the people who do care, I think there's a level of exhaustion that I kind of kicked in about this. Plus the, just the exhaustion of being a fan of this football team period, the everyday exhaustion uh, you know, Washington Admirals, there's a professional team in Washington called the Admirals. What what team is that? They, they, they play this sport called Quidditch. Are you familiar with Harry Potter stories? No, I don't I don't I haven't read any Harry Potter. My wife no, I haven't read I haven't read any and the only reason I'm familiar with a couple of them is uh when my granddaughter was here this summer, we watched a couple of movies. It's a it's a game that was part of the Harry Potter movies. Uh, where players are mounted on broomsticks and played in a <laughs> hockey-sized, hockey rink-sized pitch. Mm -hmm. It was created in 2005 at Middlebury College in Vermont. Oh, Middlebury! Very, but very, the, you know, but the the snooty. the Washington uh, team for Quidditch are the Washington Admirals. 
Yeah, but so there's already Washington Admirals. But it's fictional, isn't it? Are you, are no, you telling me this is a real sport? How can you? You're telling me it's a fiction. You've just described a fictional sport. Am I right or wrong? Yes. Okay. So. Yes, I did. But somebody ma- made it a real sport. <laughs> oh, they're flying around on broomsticks. Yeah. Really? No, I mean they're running around on broomsticks. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. I'm just telling you. Okay. The Washington Admirals are a real team, <clears throat> and uh, they play in the Major League Quidditch League. There's a, there's a website and everything, Washington Admirals. They're in the East Division. They have a head coach. They have assistant coaches. They have a manager. Mm. There you go. Well, so, look, this is for those of you that are interested in this. I'll get to my personal feelings here in a moment. If it's commanders, defenders, presidents, or Red Hogs, I would bet that it's not presidents. That's just me. Um, I would also bet that it's not defenders because of the XFL team, but I don't know. I mean, they played like three games before the pandemic. Um, again, the stars would be an indication to me that it might be the commanders, um, the little stars on the uniform, which, by the way, somebody reminded me on the air this morning, uh, you know the other team in the league with stars on their uniforms? Uh, that would be the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I mean, we, we, we stole their bench idea. Why don't we just start taking from their uniforms too? Um, and that's working so well yeah. for them. I think Red Hogs would be, well, I mean, it would have red in it. It would be a nod to, uh, you know, the past tradition of the great offensive line, nicknamed the Hogs. Uh, I also think like Red Wolves and Red Tails, not necessarily Red Tails, but Red Wolves, it kind of sounds a little bit like, you know, an eighth grade boys basketball team name. Also, Tommy, um, somebody mentioned to me, I think it was a caller this morning, that said something like, if it was the Commanders, why two years? Why did it take so long? I think that the trademark part of it, the legal part of it, probably you can figure out pretty quickly, you know, if it's available, A, and if it's not available, is it gettable for, you know, a price? I think the real issue with the time spent is really because of two things. Number one, they spent a lot of money quickly to turn everything from Redskins into Washington football team. And I think they wanted to get a little bit of run out of that and maybe to sort of see what the reaction would be to it. Um, I know that uh, it cost a lot of money for them to essentially redo the entire stadium, redo a lot of what they have out in Ashburn. Now, they didn't even need to do it at the stadium, as it turns out, because of the pandemic and nobody went to the stadium last year. But I think the bigger issue is that with this organization, unlike, say, the Indians, which seem to you know come up with their new name much faster – This organization had to be very, very careful. They had to really do research into any name, no matter how benign sounding, to make sure that three minutes after they unveiled it with its new logo, somebody didn't come out and say, oh, man, did you know that back in 1832, this was a pejorative, insensitive term used to describe a certain group of people. Like, I think that's really what took a lot of time. They could not fail on that front. Can you imagine 
if they ended up with a name that had some sort of insensitive connotation from years ago. I mean, this is the world we're living in. And so no matter how long ago or no matter how, you know, insignificant it might seem to a lot of people, they just they can't get away with it. So I think a lot of the the crossing um, the T's and dotting the I's on that front took a long time. You know, again, I mean, part of if I'm a Washington football fan, I'm thinking, you know, it, it just they can't really screw this up. I mean, based on what we know, there's very limited options available. Uh, and uh, while it would pain me, the fact that these people in charge are going to dictate the name for my my football team for the guy for sake. Taken, I don't know how long and in the future, they really can't screw this up, can they? I mean, it depends on what your I perspective is. I mean, it should be is. pretty simple. Commanders, command. No one's no, no one's going to be excited or outraged about commanders. Oh, I think this will be it's a, a it's polarizing a, thing, one way or the other. I think there's going to be right. people that really hate so it, it and people that like it. There maybe there be, maybe there will be. I don't know. I mean, it seems like a pretty benign name. You know, to get work to that, get worked that's up what the about one is. way or the other. No, but yeah, yeah. but 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 that's not it. It's the fact that there is going to be a new name. There's still so many people hanging on to the old name, and it's going to be the last two years. Washington football team isn't going to be as jarring or such an in-your-face. You really did lose that name as a new name with a new new logo. And so that's yeah. where you, th- it, it will be like a, a sense of permanence. Right. Yeah, because yeah. there's been this like interim thing here, you know, yeah. and it's like, okay, well, the brand is still Washington, you know, and then all of a sudden, Redskins is actually really going to be replaced by a new name and a new logo and a new uniform kind of scheme, not color scheme. And. You know, that emotional, you know, that marketing, branding, emotional de- detachment thing that I've talked so much about in previous years then really starts to set in. There will be people that will never, ever root for this team again and maybe already don't based on the na- the, the, the loss of the name. Um, and uh, so I think that's that's going to be the thing. I, I, um, I, I don't care at all about this new name uh when it's announced on february 2nd i tweeted this out earlier um and if it's like commanders i i I am reserving the right to to be a little bit pissed off to feel a little bit nostalgic um it'll probably hit me a little bit i'm not i'm i don't care right now i don't give a shit right now but when it actually comes out and i see it and then everybody starts referring to the football team here in washington as the commanders and next season when you get you know the fox intro music dun da 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 dun da 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 dun da 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 dun da bum 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 And it's like live from, you know, AT&T Stadium. It's the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington Commanders. That is going to sting a little bit. 
it's going to sting yeah, a little well. bit, I think. And I, so, but, but at the same time, I've said this to you before, if this were going to happen for their purposes, this is the time for it to happen because the amount of people that are interested and passionate about this team is at an all time low. This could have never happened in a ple- in any kind of environment resembling something halfway pleasant if they were coming off their their third Super Bowl in 12 years in 1991. You know, yeah. it, it would but but now the attachment, the emotional attachment to the team has already has already um, taken you know a big hit because of the losing and the embarrassment and the clown show that they've become um, in the league for for you know so long now. So this is the time to change it. But I'm telling you, it's going to really hit when you see the team walk out onto the field in a in a big game against an arch rival, and it's Eagles against the Commanders. I mean, it's just not going to seem the same. It's hard to even say. No. And at the same time, I, I don't really care about this process, but I reserve the right to eventually feel a little bit angry or sad or nostalgic or whatever when I hear for the first time, probably on draft night, when the commissioner steps to the podium and says, with the ninth overall pick, the Washington Commanders select Kenny Pickett, quarterback, University of Pittsburgh. It's going to seem weird. I mean, it, it's just people are going to be – analyzing and breaking this down until February 2nd. And somebody will get the story officially before then, I'm sure. And like you said, there's only so many choices. And you you came up with a pretty good, reasonably deductive way to eliminate some of the other ones. So, uh, but we'll, we'll all be tired of the of the analysis of the uniforms and the helmets as to what that could mean for the name. <laughs> You know, uh, two stars, three stars. It's already started. I have a question for you. Um, I got an email, um, and it, it's – I'm looking for it here. Give me a second. Um, it was. It's from Richard. Richard basically sent me this email, which included the following. It's incredible that they didn't do anything Sunday to, I, to honor Ryan Kerrigan, a video tribute, a nicely misspelled message on the Jumbotron. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, he went on and on about how outrageous it was. And I, I didn't think about it at all until I read this email. And I don't think it's a big deal at all. And I need your help on this because I can't think of a time when a former player came back on an opposing team and there was a big deal made out of it. Now, I went and checked. Art Monk never came back and played as a member of the Eagles or Jets in RFK Stadium. Um, Gary Clark did, as an Arizona Cardinal, come back and play in RFK Stadium. But I don't think, other than, like, you know, that Tom Brady returned to Foxborough, and, you know, I'm talking about, you know, all-time GOAT legend Hall of Famer. I, I, I don't – I'm not – as off-put as I am by so many of the dumbass things they do, this one doesn't really rise to that level for me. But it, you have to admit, it would have been a nice thing to do. I mean, it would have shown a semblance of intelligence and recognition. Uh, so, I mean, look, it's not an outrage. Part of the reason it's not an outrage 
is Ryan Carrington wasn't a passionate player when he was here. He was a good player. He was a very good player at times, but people didn't get worked up about Ryan Carrington. People were more worked up about Chase Young than they are about Ryan when they were about the whole time Ryan Kerrigan was here. Uh, but it would have been, for a professional organization that did things the right way, it would have been a nice touch. Is it an outrage? No, it's, it's not an outrage. Like you said, uh, on, on the list of outrages, that, that's, that's, you know, way down near the triple digits. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know that it's really done that often in general by good organizations. And by the way, you know, to the conversation that we were having on Friday about, you know, potentially Gibbs coming back to toss the coin before the game, like, it was Philadelphia fans. I mean, they would have cheered Ryan Kerrigan, too, but not for the reasons that he may have been honored with a video tribute. I I just, I I, I think it... It, do, it doesn't bother me at all as much as a lot of the things they do have really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, this one I don't think is a big whiff. Now, I bet you they didn't even think about it because, again, they, right. don't, they don't have enough people in the organization that know enough about the organization or the tradition or the history. I don't think they've done anything to honor the 30-year Super Bowl uh, champion, the last Super yeah. Bowl champion um, this year. Maybe I could be wrong about that. Um, no, but, they did not. They did not do anything. I, I, you know, I don't think that they even a lot of the people even knew it out there. Um, but this one, you know, also to your point, it's a good one. Ryan Kerrigan was a really good player, a really good player. He's the all-time franchise sack leader. But anybody of a certain age, and you don't have to be super old does not consider Ryan Kerrigan to be the greatest pass rusher in franchise history. Dexter Manley was, no. okay? And it's not Ken really Harvey close. Ken Harvey was a better pass rusher yeah. than Ryan Kerrigan. So I, I think that while Ryan did a shitload in the community, he was such a, a great teammate and a really good player. Um, I a don't guy know. you didn't have to worry about. A guy who, who would show up, work hard, never embarrass yourself, you know, the team out, out in the community, a, a stand-up guy who deserves everything he gets. And he will be a Ring of Fame member, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Absolutely yes. he will. But again, yes. you know, like to me, if back in 1994, 1995, whatever year it would have been, if Art Monk had come back into the stadium in a jet uniform or an Eagle uniform, uh, there should have been something for Art Monk. <laughs> now, um, the fans would have been packed in, and the minute Monk came out onto the field, there would be a standing ovation. If Monk caught a pass against the home team, there would be a standing ovation, you know, for him. And you know what's ironic about that is Monk would have hated it. He would have hated it, of course. He hated any would attention. would have hated it. Right. But, <laughs> you know, sorry to Ryan, he's not in Art Monk's class. You know, that's not mm-hmm. the level. And again, the environment, too, wouldn't have been supportive of, of that on Sunday. By all accounts, it was 60% plus, if not more, Eagles fans. And by the way, watching from, uh, it on... From, from observers who I trust, 
They said seventy-five twenty-five. Yeah, I heard as high as eighty percent. Um, I, but I, 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 yeah. tr- I tend to take the lower because I think people are really trying to exaggerate it just to make a point. Um, but it was definitely majority Philadelphia fans. You could hear that, by the way, on on television, like you could with the uh, with the Cowboys game. So it would have sort of fallen a little bit flat anyway, kind of like the railing did. Um, fortunately, uh, <laughs> not on anybody's head, although there was some photographer that was injured from the Associated Press. An AP, an AP photo runner, I think, right. was hurt. What's a photo runner? I guess so. Well, I, I, in the old, I, I think that's what they said. Okay. And I, I imagine in the old days, that was a guy, I would think, who ran, runs film back. Mm-hmm. But there is no more film. Mm-hmm. So I'm not quite sure what that is. Right. Well, hey, um, uh, I'm... But this is, you know, the, the, the whole rail thing has turned, of course, nothing simple with this team, you know, has turned into a squabble. I know. And an embarrassment beyond the simple stadium-breaking down part. <laughs> uh, there's now a fight. You know, the team said that, team issued a statement, said that they cared for everybody who was injured and they wanted to make sure everybody was okay and they were to receive medical attention. And the people who fell have told ESPN none of that happened. Yeah, in fact, somebody mentioned that the only thing they heard from anybody that worked for the team or worked for the stadium crew was to get the F out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there, there's going to be a few lawsuits about that one. Well, I mean, somebody called in yesterday and said, don't you think this is a lawsuit waiting to happen? Like, I would have stayed on the ground until my lawyer showed up. Well, I mean, okay, that says something about you personally that I don't, I don't want to get yes, into. Yes, it does. In many ways, there wouldn't be a better guy to sue. Um, you know, one of the most litigious people we've ever had in this town, a town of, you know, mostly lawyers. Um, all right, let's get to something else. Uh, we're done talking um, name and stadium and Ryan Kerrigan. Tom wrote a column. We'll talk about that. Tom hasn't weighed in on Sunday's game or the end of the season for the most part. We'll get to some of that. Uh, the Wizards won last night. The Terps nearly won. And more on Joe Judge. Uh, you'll hear what he said because uh, I did not play that for you yesterday. I just read it to you. You'll hear what the head coach of the Giants said when we come back after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. 
twice a week, J.J. Reddick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, JJ breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. A request to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't really helps us, doesn't cost you a thing. Also, even more um, important for us, especially the next couple of weeks, is to rate us and review us on Spotify and Apple in particular, or anywhere you can rate us and review us. Uh, five stars would be great, no less than four. Um, and a one to two sentence review of how much you like the podcast. You can pause it right now and do it. Um, many of you have, so I'm not asking you to do it again. But if you haven't done it, um, and you can do it, that would be really, really helpful. Big push right now for us on the sales front uh, at the beginning here of 2022, and ratings and reviews are a big driver of our ability to do that. Uh, Tommy's in Florida. That's where he winters um, in beautiful uh, Miramar Beach, Florida, near Destin. Um, did you watch the game on Sunday? Yes, I did. Uh, the couple we're staying with, he is an Eagles fan, so we watched it together in a, a bar that had the NFL Sunday ticket. Okay. Uh, so I was able to watch it. And uh, here's what I thought. You know, it, it, like I've seen some fights that happen this way where uh, one fighter uh, will, you know, start out real strong early in the fight and look like he's going to dominate the fight. But then as the, as the fight goes on, they start to wear down because they can't keep up that level of dominance. Uh, and his opponent knew that. Their opponent knows that and just waits for them to basically wear out at some point. And then in the championship rounds, they dominate. Right. The last four rounds. Yeah, and that's pretty much what happened on Sunday. And that's the way I felt when I was watching the game. Even when Washington got off to an early start, I said, you know, this Eagles, this Eagles team – uh, it's just going to wear them down. It's, it's, it's just Washington just doesn't have the horses to sustain this at this point. And he, this is, and that's what happens, right? Isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good analogy. Um, and I, and I, as you were describing it, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like you, you know what? It's well, it's not the analogy that I think you were trying to make, but it's kind of Hearns Hagler esque. You know, Hearns came out and completely shot his wad, so to speak, yeah. and went for haymaker after haymaker, and then the better, more physical, smarter fighter eventually came back, wore him down, and knocked him out in the third round. Um, by the way, kids that aren't old enough to remember Hagler Hearns, please, I know we've Tommy and I, Tommy and I both asked you to do this in the past. Just Google 
Hagler Hearns and watch it. It's three rounds. It's three of the greatest rounds and some of the most unbelievably intense boxing ever. Tommy turned me on to Lyle Foreman, right? The five-rounder? Yes. That's unbelievable, yes. too. Um, because when you turned me on to that like a year ago, I went and watched that, and I'm like, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think you're right. Like, you know, I, I talked about this yesterday in the podcast, Tommy, but I'll do it with you. I there's a lot of um, we got a lot of coaches in town. You know, we got a lot of coaches on Twitter. You know, and by the way, I'm one of them, so I'm making fun of myself here to a degree as well, um, especially when it comes to football. Uh, sometimes I actually really do think I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about basketball, but that's beside the point. Um, I. Uh, I just think sometimes, and I bet every fan base is similar to a certain degree, you can't, like, admit that, oh, the other team is just better. That other team just outplayed our team. And really, it's not that much harder than that. Like, all of the, oh, my God, and this was the big one after this game. I mean, well, you sent me the tweet from Joe Banner. The, the team yeah. president um, yeah. from the Eagles. Just all of the Scott Turner hand-wringing and Jack Del Rio. It's like, really? Okay, so tell me what you're – like I, I got into an argument with somebody um, yesterday after the uh, – a friend of mine who called me after the podcast and said, well, what adjustments did Scott Turner make? And, and so I, I, I said, well, I know some of them that he made. Why don't you tell me what you think he should have done? Because you claim he made no adjustments in the second half. Well, that's 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 the word that people. Even I use it. Yeah, you know? the adjustment I mean, thing, right? Yeah, the adjustment thing. I mean, time for second half adjustments. Yeah, and you know? and I said, and well, I, I, I guess you know, part of it is because some of the fan base grew up in an era where this coaching staff did make second half adjustments. Well, that's they true. They didn't know what they were, <laughs> but they knew that they made them. Right. <laughs> You don't know that Richie went from, you know, basically yeah. exclusive man-to-man with with four-man pressures to a lot of zone with blitz. Um, but you know yeah. whatever he did in the second half, it worked. Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> and for there's sure. a lot of fans out there that grew up with that, so they just said, yeah. do that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, I, I think that the, uh, the Scott Turner thing, like I, I said to him, I go, well, I know one adjustment he made. Once it became very clear that they couldn't block Philadelphia at the line of scrimmage in the second half, he tried a couple of screens. I mean, we all know enough about football to know that the screen pass is often used as a way to offset a pass rush that you can't block. You know, it, it allows the rush to come up and then, you know, you're able to get something off and, you know, hopefully block it downfield. They tried a couple of those and those got swarmed. I, you know, I don't know that Scott Turner made a number of adjustments and it's very possible that he didn't, you know, uh, do a couple of things that football people could have said, you know, he really should have done this or, or that. I do know this. I know that in the first half he had Philadelphia or certainly the execution by the players had Philadelphia completely off balance and they moved the football up and down the field four drives four scores um no punts in the second half before that final drive they only ran at that point 16 plays 
Philadelphia had the ball. And to Joe Banner, I think I addressed this on the podcast yesterday because you sent me the tweet. I mean, the team president of the Philadelphia Eagles, bless his heart, because you know he worked in the NFL. He wasn't the football person, but he was a team president. But what he tweeted out may have been true that it was Scott Turner's fault, although I don't agree with that. But he, the reasons he gave for them were not true at all. The, actually, the reasons he gave, the opposite of what he, he described actually happened. Um, Joe You're right. Ba- Joe, you pointed that out. You're yeah, right. Joe Banner like went on this, this tweet rant of how Philadelphia won the game because Scott Turner went in, in the first half essentially threw the ball and then in the second half started running the ball on first down. And I don't know why he did that. Well, no, actually in the first half they were completely balanced. 15 runs and 16 called pass plays. If you take the, you know, the spike in the the intentional out of bounds throw out of it. In the second half, they didn't run it at all. They ran it on two of 12 first downs. So he gave a, a, a kind of an emotional answer as to why the Eagles won the game, and he thought, you know, watching it, it was Scott Turner's fault. And again, maybe he's right, but he's not right because of the reasons he gave, because the reasons were inaccurate. They were actually what he thought was true. The opposite of that was actually true. Um, they weren't balanced in the second half. They didn't stick with the run enough. Um, and they really didn't have an opportunity to, to be fair, like the, the runs that they tried, the two runs that they tried on first down, he said that they ran on almost all the first downs. The two that they tried gained zero yards and one yard. And so, you know, I guess he could have stuck with it, but uh, Philadelphia just killed them at the line of scrimmage, whipped them. To your point, the better team took a bit of a haymaker in the first half from, by the way, an offense that could not be stopped except in the red zone, um, and they had to kick three field goals, and that's you know fair criticism. Still, would you rather have four drives and four scores or four drives and four punts? Um, they didn't punt in the first half, and there was no threat of them punting um, in the first half. And, and then the better team came back. And by the way, Tommy, Jalen Hurts played tremendously in the second yes, half. he did. He, he really was, did. He was outstanding. I'm watching that game, and I'm thinking, what what quarterback controversy? People wanted Gardner Minshew to start over this guy two weeks ago? I mean, what are they talking about? I'll tell you the other thing. I, I understand the frustration at times with a guy like like Hertz because he really and I had Ruben Frank who's been covering the Eagles for years up in Philadelphia. He works for uh, CSN Philadelphia, um, NBC Sports Philadelphia now, and he said, you know, there is this laid back, you know, personality that Jalen Hurts has and, by the way, plays with. And it's 100% right. It's ex- exactly the way he played at Bama and Oklahoma as well. And it sometimes looks as if he is really overly casual, and sometimes it leads to turnovers. But he's very competitive, and he's good. I, If I were Philadelphia, even with all of those first-round picks that they have this year, and a lot of them aren't going to be nearly where they thought they were going to be at one point this year when Miami especially was 1-7, I think I'd stick with Hertz. I like Hertz. If you know what, if they don't want Hertz, I'll take him down here. Yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. But uh, I just think sometimes you know, the better team 
isn't recognized by the home team's fan base and media base. It's a lot it's a lot easier to just criticize the team when the home team when they lose and for their shortcomings instead of saying, "Hey man, you know what? Truth is Philadelphia is just better." And by the way, the fact that they had a chance to win the game, they were in the game, they led the game, I give them some credit for that, which I did. Washington that is. I agree with all that. I think Taylor Heineke played well. I do too. Okay, I, I think for a guy coming off of COVID uh, and having to watch his team get manhandled by the Cowboys the week before, I think he did what he does. He responded. You know, uh, there was talk about seeing Kyle Allen. Taylor Heineke responded. Now people need to remember he's playing without three of his top four offensive weapons: no Antonio Gibson, no no McKissick. No uh, Logan Thomas. I mean, right now, McLaurin is the only top uh, offensive weapon fifth, that, that fifth he has. Center. At, 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 huh? yes. Fifth center. Fifth so, center. I- issues at, so at, at I, guard in the game. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, so I think, oh, he, I think he played really well, and I'm not sure there be there are many quarterbacks who could have done better. Well, I don't agree with that. I think there are a lot of quarterbacks that could have done better, but I think he played with, with that hand that was dealt him. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, like, some, not uh, a lot. I think I think there are plenty that could have done better, but I thought he played well. I gave him a B for the game. I thought he was a solid B. He made you know a first half throw that was really you know one of those throws we see from him. But I, I think he got bailed out by the uh, illegal contact. It was still I looked at it uh, on the all twenty two. It was a bad decision by him. Um, I think the fourth and five when they went for the fourth down at midfield, which, you know, again, I didn't really – I kind of thought punt in the moment, but I, I, I sort of understood it and didn't have a major problem with it. I didn't love the play call because it requires a quarterback that's really good at throwing in timing and throwing with real accuracy and velocity. And he just – that's not his throw. You know, that's that's a real – you know, top half of the league NFL starting quarterback throw. He can't make that throw consistently. You got to be in timing, plant that foot, drive it, and that ball is off his back foot, late floating. Um, and and again, I said yesterday, I don't know if that play would have resulted in a first down anyway. But he he didn't give it a chance. And then the interception, I think it's really hard, even after looking at it at different angles. I don't know that Bates would have been able to make a play on it, but I wouldn't say definitely that he that he couldn't have been more disruptive to McLeod who made the interception. But it was an overthrow. It was a high throw, an overthrow, and he did have a couple of people open on that play. But, you know, they had no timeouts left. They were at the 20-yard line, and they, they needed a touchdown, you know, and he t- took a shot. I thought he had... Put it this way, it was a near-flawless first half. Near-flawless yes. first half. But again, they yes. were balanced. You know, they had third and twos, third and ones, third and threes, and that was the key to the four-game winning streak. And that's, you know, when you have that, by the way, offensively, it really is hard over a 17-game schedule to win nine or more games when there's that fine of a line between – being productive offensively or being utterly unproductive offensively. When you have to be and rely because you're limited um, on being balanced and gaining yards on first down and having second and five and having third and two. And I'm not saying that a lot of teams aren't in the same boat, Tommy, but 
you're, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, really a holding penalty? It's first and 20? We'll get it on this next play. <laughs> you know, you don't have that here. And they've got to they've gotta aim for something like that. I don't know if they'll land on they, it. It's a they, lottery, really. They really miss J.D. McKissick. They oh, my him. God, I agree with that. So, so much. I agree with that. I, he, he's, he's, been, he's so effective as a pass catcher coming out of the backfield. Such a safety valve for a quarterback who's in trouble, you know? And, uh, I mean, they really missed him. They missed Logan Thomas, but McKissick they really missed. McKi- they, both, know, they, both of them. But McKissick, yeah. uh, definitely. I mean, he was a real weapon um, and really was – it's a shame. I mean, he obviously was much more injured than we we ever thought, and he's been on the injured reserve now for two weeks. Um, and, by the way, he's a free agent. You know, um, so we'll see what they do with J.D. McKissick. They're going to have some big decisions to make um, in the offseason, and he's one of them because I know that they really like him, and by the way, they should really like him. Um, But he is an unrestricted free agent in 2022, and how old is he, 28? I mean, there might be a – there wasn't a decent market necessarily when they signed him before the 2020 season, but I bet you there's going to be a market for him in this offseason. I would think so. Um, Absolutely. Tell me about the column that you wrote about the stadium. Well, uh, Or tell everybody else I read it and retweeted it. Okay. Uh, You know, it's funny. At the end of the game, when the game is over and – and Jalen Hurts is making his way to the tunnel, and that railing collapsed full of Eagles fans. I said, oh, my God, sometimes the columns just write themselves, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm so happy when I don't have to write about the game when oh, they God. lose, Yeah. you know? Because, I mean, it, it's, just, it's just such a tired subject. And like I said, it's almost background noise sometimes with, with, with this franchise, what they do on the field. And I used it to get into the, uh, the idea uh, that the Post reported a couple weeks ago that the team is, is moving aggressively to try to get legislation done uh, for support for a stadium in northern Virginia somewhere, well, Loudoun County or maybe Prince William County. And, you know, I went out, I, I pointed out the first time I've written about that, and I pointed out, you know, some of the, some of the likely roadblocks in the way of them, including one that nobody had really written before. I mean, I think it's fair to say that Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder are pretty much mortal enemies at this point, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it certainly would seem that way. Okay. Now, and Bruce Allen was, was Snyder's stadium point guy right. uh, while he was here. Maybe he didn't do a good job. Who knows? But that was the guy that all these government officials talked to when they talked about stadium. They talked to Bruce Allen. Now, as far as I know, Bruce Allen and his brother George Allen still have a relationship together, the former governor of, of Virginia, who was very instrumental in uh, Glenn Youngkin's campaign for governor, and in fact is on the transition team for the new governor. I didn't know so that. I, I work, I got, so yes, George, George, I Allen, George that, Allen worked for Youngkin, or is working for Youngkin? He's on the transition team. Oh, interesting. For him. Yeah. I got to think that uh, when you're looking for political influence for a stadium, 
You're not going to get much help from the Allen family. Just the opposite. Right. Okay. So, uh, you know, you need so that, a lot of political so you will. So you think Virginia is going to get knocked out? That this is bullshit, the Prince William Loudoun County thing. I think, yeah, yeah, it is. I, again, and I pointed out the district. I talked to somebody in the district who's really plugged in, says that, that there's no momentum in the district. They've got no shot at the city, and they think their only chance is to, is to somehow get the federal government, which owns the land, you know, and leases yeah, it. Yeah, Department of Interior. Yeah. Runs yeah. it, right? Uh, right. So, uh, you know, to maybe somehow an avenue through the federal government, which the Post had reported a few years ago uh, that they were trying to do with Trump, but they're not going to find any friends in the Biden administration willing to push that forward either. And, you know, this one guy, this guy, this source that I quoted, saying the hate for Snyder is a big hurdle to overcome. And this, this source that I talked to in the district uh, one of the thing, one of the quotes that I use that was very telling, is that the hurdle, for, that the hate for Snyder, is a big hurdle to overcome, and I think that's true everywhere. Anybody say anything about Jason Wright and Jason Wright being involved in this and their feelings about him? Nothing. Okay. I don't. I don't know if he's met. I can't. I don't know what Jason Wright has done. I haven't heard that he's met with anyone in the district to talk about this. Uh, I'm sure he's probably met with Virginia officials if they've got this plan in place to try to revive the Virginia Baseball Stadium Authority as a mechanism to create uh, financing for the new stadium. Snyder was a bidder for the baseball team when the Expos were talking about moving. Yeah, Yeah, him and Bob Johnson, but no one took that bid seriously. Uh, but uh, I haven't. I haven't heard a peep about Jason Wright. Nothing. Do you think the Nats? That doesn't mean he. That doesn't mean he's not doing anything. Do you think the Nats would have had the run, including a World Series title, if Snyder had been the owner? <laughs> um. Well, here's the thing. Mike Rizzo wouldn't have worked for him. Right. Read Tommy's there column. You go. I I tweeted it out. Uh, retweeted it. Tommy tweeted it out. It's a good column. Um, and Tommy really, of ever, I think really uh, of anybody in town, has been pretty uh, spot on as it relates to the stadium. I think, well, let me, let me um, ask the John McLaughlin exit question. Thomas, one word answer, where will the new stadium be built? Next to the current stadium, right next door to Ghost Town Field. That's not one word, but you, sir, Thomas Lavero, are correct. All right, up next. Uh, so, Ron Rivera had a long press conference yesterday. Before the name change stuff or the name announcement stuff, we were going to spend more time on this, on the show. But I just want to highlight a couple of things from Rivera's presser yesterday. Um First of all, for anybody interested, the, you know, he said what all coaches say, which is on Sunday's meaningless game, we're going to play that game to win that game. You know, that's that's who we are. We're competitors. And by the way, real quickly, you know, it's okay like to root as a fan in this particular situation when playoffs have been eliminated as a possibility. It's okay to root for them to lose to get better draft positioning. It's okay. Um, but teams, as a practical matter, the only thing teams can actually do to tank 
is to put their worst players onto the field. And by doing that, you know, they lessen their chances of winning the game. I mean, that is how they tank. Players don't actually go onto a field and say, I'm going to really play poorly so we can lose and get better draft position so you can draft my replacement. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not the way it works. <laughs> You know, they're playing for their current contract, their next contract, their next opportunity. Nobody's going out there saying, I'm going to try to run right into the pile and get tackled and so that we have to punt on this drive. But what teams can do is play lesser players and do it under, you know, the heading. We really wanted to to see what old Charlie had. We hadn't played him a lot this year. This was an opportunity to get Charlie some playing time, and we wanted to see what he had. Um, And maybe they knew all along that Charlie wasn't very good. I will tell you this, and and you know I talked about it yesterday. It it'd be really hard to lose to the Giants, even if you're trying. That's how bad yes. the Giants are. Um, so anyway, they're going for that. Um, secondly, he talked about a couple of things that I thought were interesting. Let me let me read to you just two quick um, sound bites from the transcript. On the biggest challenge since arriving in trying to rebuild the franchise, he said there's a lot of things that we looked at, and honestly, it hasn't been what's been on the field, but what has been off the field, and that's tough sometimes too. Let me just say parenthetically, all of this stuff, and I'm not talking about his illness, I'm not talking about COVID, I'm talking about all the organizational stuff, that has impacted. You know, it's all connected. Tommy says it all the time. It's all connected. He's right. Um, I've had enough conversations with him. This is this, them getting asked about it. The family getting asked about it. You know, why would you want to work for somebody like this? Why would you work in an organization that had all these allegations? Well, none of this stuff happened when he was there. You know, this all happened before he got there. But I think that a lot of the stuff that's been going on since literally he took the job, certainly from July, 2020 on, um, has been an impact. But he um, went on to say that I think really you got to find the players that fit. Um, we've got to continue to do that. We've got to find the players that fit. And then he said um, on next year being a step forward year and whether or not that's a fair expectation, he said, I'd like to believe so. There's a lot of things we've been working on, a lot of things we feel good about. There's some things that we that were out of our control this year that really hampered us. But at the end of the day, if you map things out, you plan things out, this is really what we believe. I don't see why not. And again, I know expectations will be high. I know people will say it's your third season. This is what happens in the third season. And again, I get it. At the end of the day, we've got some holes that we want to fill. We've got some players we want to make sure are the right kind of guys to be on the football field. That's all part of the process that I believe in. Um, believe me, I didn't come here thinking that it's going to be an easy turnaround. Those first two years are going to be uh, th- that those first two years are going to be great. I think we outdid the expectations our first year. I thought coming into the second year, I told you guys there's certain things that I was still concerned with. Now going into the third year, I'd like to believe that we've taken some big steps. He pretty much said, "Okay, it's my third year." It's time to get it done. Don't you think? I think so. But, I mean, look, I mean, his, whether, whatever you think of him, 
he tries to sound reasonably intelligent when he answers these questions, right. knowing what people on the outside are thinking, mm-hmm. and he seems to try to take that into consideration. And I mean, even here, he recognizes. He says, uh, you know, I know expectations will be high. I know people will say, well, it's your third season. You know, so he doesn't dismiss that. He says, you know, kind of like, well, they're right. It is my third season, and expectations will be high. And in and, and, and a way, they should be. Uh, so, I mean, he's real good at that. I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. Uh, he addressed uh, what, the, what the question was, and he did it in a way how people were thinking, but he also did it in a way that, uh, that defends what the organization has done so far to get to that third year. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's basically saying, okay, now you can judge me. Yeah, okay. Um, I think we're saying kind of the same thing. Um, I, I, I know what you're saying. You know, uh, he, he wasn't out there saying, okay, this third year we're going to be 12-4 and four and we're going to win the division and we're going to have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. But, you know, when he said, I know expectations will be high, I would say to him, Actually, Coach, I don't know that the expectations are going to be very high. Now, in general, like the third year of a five-year deal, you know, you better start to do something in that third year, or the fourth and fifth probably won't be guaranteed. You know, um, but I, I don't know that there anybody believes that they're going to be good next year. Like, what would make you believe that they're... I mean, in fact, right. I said this yesterday, and I haven't told it, said it to you, even though we were talking about the game from Sunday. The 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 environment um, this year compared to last in terms of expectations going into the offseason is much different. Last year, you had a playoff game, which some people think they nearly won, and you had a defense that had played so well with the defensive rookie of the year, and you thought you were returning a potential Chicago Bears 1985 defense, and all you had to do was find a few weapons, get a linebacker, get a corner, get a couple receivers, find a quarterback, and boom, 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 you're going to the Super Bowl or you're going to contend. You know, a lot of people thought this was going to be 10, 11 wins, you know, this year off of the expe- off of the way last year went, which was 7 and 9. I'll remind everybody. Nobody's thinking that now. The, the defense, it was a major step back season. They don't have an answer at quarterback. Um, the linebacker they drafted in the first round, he admitted yesterday may have to change positions. Um, so there, other than it being the third of a five-year deal and what typically comes with that, there aren't really any expectations. There's no optimism like there was last year heading into this offseason. Well, here's, here, here's what I think would be more accurate. And let's deal with it from a negative point of view, which is pretty much the only way to deal with this organization. I don't know if expectations will be high, but frustrations, if they don't perform, will be higher. <laughs> so you just flipped it around. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, if they don't perform, I, the patience will be gone. Is frustration an emotion? I don't know. That requires somebody, somebody well, like you. Uh, my, 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 my point, my, <laughs> yeah, not, not really. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting to you that to express frustration would require some level of caring. Okay. And I just, okay. I still think that we are in this bubble. 
You know, we talked about this earlier in the year when we saw some of those television ratings and the crowds. And I think that it's a wonderful bubble to be in with all of you that are listening. And it's, it's, I, I, we enjoy this a lot. But when it comes to talking about this football team, you know, there are, you know, whatever, 3 million people or 4 million people that live in the DMV, whatever the population is now. And most people that used to care don't care anymore. And they're not going to be frustrated. I, that's my only point, but I kind of think think we make. But that the point narrative, th- but the narrative, will be one of frustration yeah. and lack okay. of patience. The, hot, the seat, the hot seat, will emerge. Let me just get to one other thing you said, because this was pretty interesting. I thought. So, um, he was asked about the off season, you know, and how the off season will help with injuries, and he gets into this long answer. He says, well, the biggest thing with injured players, for the most part, most of them, those are the things that you just can't control. That's the hard part, obviously, is that you can't control certain injuries. The thing that you hope for is we get these guys back, and one thing we have to understand is just how important the offseason is for us. Hopefully the COVID situation will be in control. Hopefully it won't be a battle to get guys here, uh, to get guys to be here. When we're working together so we can develop this cohesion that you need to go forward with, there's a lot of things that come about when you do get together during those nine weeks that you have as far as OTAs and minicamp are concerned. Those are valuable th- those are valuable opportunities. Hold on. Those are valuable. Those are opportunities to build it. It's an opportunity to introduce certain elements of what you want to do. It's a chance for us to evaluate going into training camp. Then once you get to camp, it's an opportunity to sit there and see if things that happen during OTAs and minicamp are things that we can rely on as we build and go forward. That's the thing, and that's going to be the truth of the matter, is that this offseason is going to be very important, very vital to what I think is part of the plan. It's time, I think, that we see this team start to take that big step forward. And so the follow-up to that came a few questions later about Chase Young's off-season plan. Oh, yeah, most certainly that's one of the things that we want to get across. Again, there will be certain things he will be able to do and we'd love to have him do. Again, I get it. It's a voluntary situation, OTAs. But to me, this is one of these things, and in our situation where we are in terms of our rebuild – It's one of those things that this is where you're looking for everything to be put together, and that's the kind of way that I'm going to approach. I mean... I'm surprised that he said that. (laughs) I'm not. I'm being facetious. I mean, remember the abuse we took from people when we both pointed out that, uh, that they were upset that Chase Young wasn't there for OTAs? And now you've got the coach pretty much saying exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, whatever. We've, we, we, we had the same thing with Trent Williams. And, uh, I mean, the, the problem last year is that he had a C on his chest. He was a team captain. And there were 90 players eligible to show up for nine scheduled OTA days. And there was only one player that did not show up for any of them. And it was a team captain going into his second year. I told all of you, and so did Tommy, they were not happy 
about it. Because regardless of what you heard about, you know, when he said, you know, it's all about the money, got to go get you, got to go get my cash or whatever that line was when he was asked about it. Um, you know, y'all would do the same thing. Um, the bottom line is there were opportunities for him to show up for at least a day or two and he didn't do it. And so the coach is telling you that they're voluntary, but he would like Chase Young to show up for at least one of them this year. That's going to be a really interesting period of time for those of us in the bubble of of paying attention to this. Will he or won't he show up to OTAs? And let me make one thing clear for about the 75th time. I don't think that him showing up for OTAs or not showing up for OTAs is going to actually impacts the performance on the field or his readiness. But as Doc said to me last spring, leaders don't give you a reason to question their leadership. And that's exactly what he did by not showing up and being the only player not to show up for at least one of those. And that's a big deal. That part is a big deal. And the coach just told you yesterday, that's kind of a big deal that he actually shows up for this. Now, he's obviously recovering from a serious injury too. So his readiness, who knows. But um, And maybe the commercial opportunities uh, won't be nearly as plentiful as they were after last year. I don't know. Well, let me, let me just go on the record with my prediction. There will be a marketing campaign uh, from Under Armour as far as Chase Young's rehabilitation. Oh, my we'll God. We'll be full-fledged, like, all in for week one. But it'll be close. Are you You'll predicting that, or do you know that? No, I'm predicting okay. it. I'm predicting it. Got it. I'm predicting that there will be a marketing campaign by Under Armour around Chase Young's rehab. Last thing from uh, Rivera yesterday. On Jamin Davis on if he's changed his opinion of where Davis should play defensively. You know, he's he's been playing middle linebacker. By the way, I wanted to mention one thing that I didn't mention yesterday. Um, I, I mentioned this earlier in the season when John Bostic was lost to a season-ending injury, and I told you guys that they really think it's a big loss, and it's hard for us to see because – because we don't see Bostic performing and we see him out of position and we see him missing tackles. But Bostic really was the extension of Del Rio on the field. Um, and I remember talking to somebody last year. They loved Bostic. They think Bostic's a, a terrific communicator. He's really smart, the whole thing. Um, and I think if you were to ask them now about the loss of Bostic, they'll say that it impacted Jamin Davis's rookie year. Anyway, he said... Um, about maybe changing positions. He said, I think that's something we got to really look at and see if it is better for him not to have the kind of pressure that the middle linebacker has on them. Um, So that's the first time that he's kind of admitted as it relates to Jamin Davis that maybe he was playing out of position, maybe they didn't get the production that they wanted, And certainly his snap count on Sunday, he was only out there for 21% of the defensive snaps, whereas David Mayo, a special teamer, was out there for many more of those snaps. Um, It's certainly a disappointing rookie year for Jamin Davis. Doesn't mean that that's what year two and year three and year four are going to be, but a disappointing rookie year for Jamin Davis. Remember you dismissed me? 
when uh, Rich Malat passed away, and I said that the the football team and and Jamin Davis should be lucky if he has the career that Rich Malat had. I think they take it now. <laughs> uh, I guess, but you hope for a you hope for a lot more from a first round pick. I'll yes, you normally I'll, would. I'll, I'll be stubborn and stick with my same answer. I'm expecting more, <laughs> and I think they should be expecting more too. Uh, God rest Rich Malat's soul because he was a wonderful player and a champion for this football team yes. as well. All right, uh, the Wizards won last night. I want to talk about that. The Terps nearly won. I want to talk about that. And a little bit more on the Joe Judge rant from after his game on Sunday. All of those things after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kyle Kuzma last night. Wow, what a game. He has really become the Wizards' clutch, late-game clutch performer, big-time three-point shooter in the clutch. 36 for Kuzma last night, 14 rebounds, six assists in the game, and some clutch threes down the stretch. They rallied to beat Charlotte 124 to 121. By the way, Bradley Beal with 35, and he's put together a couple of excellent games. He had a really um, one of those turnovers, and I know I mention them all the time, but my God, he just exposed the ball and just had it taken by Rogier in a key possession with about two and a half minutes to go. But anyway, the Wizards won the game. 
Um, they are 19-18. and 18. Uh, The game Saturday night against the Bulls, Tommy, was so entertaining. And DeMar DeRozan, oh my God, what a season he's having. Um, but they've really gotten it together here with, with many missing pieces, including Montrez Harrell. Um, and they beat the Cavs. They sh- certainly could have beaten the Bulls. And last night they came back and beat a team that's given them problems, really, um, in the Hornets. Uh, and they are 19 and 18. It was a good. It was a really good win for them last night. Look, they stopped. It, it looked like they were about to collapse, and they put the brakes on, and they stopped it. And now they're now they're back to keeping their head above water. Uh, and you're right; they're doing it without some key players. Yes, yeah, you know, they no, still don't have no new. Still no Hachimura. No, no Hachimura. It, it, he was close, and then he got COVID. Um, yeah. So we'll see. Uh, I, I think we're getting close to, to Thomas Bryant perhaps being ready. Um, but they really need, you know, well, I say they really need. Uh, it'd be really nice to get Hachimura back. And, again, the mystery surrounding that long absence is interesting. I I don't, yes, I have no idea what it was. I would certainly guess that it was something personal with him. Um but anyway, uh, they get Houston tomorrow night. Houston's terrible. Houston actually won won a few games there uh, uh, for a while, and then they've been awful. I think they've lost eight or nine in a row, and none of them really have been um, very Is close. Is John Wall playing for Houston these <laughs> no, days or not? No, no. But he's collecting. No? Four, no, but he's making $43 million, um, for not playing. Um, good win for, for the Wizards last night. They're 19 and 18. They keep hovering around that 500, and they keep threatening to go below 500. Um, but they're playing right. well. I would remind all of you that you know told me early in the year what a great defensive team they were, and I said I would put the brakes on that for a little bit. I think a lot of it has to do with teams are just missing some shots against them. If you're watching the games closely, you know they're improved. They're emphasizing defense. Um, they're better coached defensively. But I still question whether or not they could become a really good defensive team. And you know the truth is, last night was one twenty four, one twenty one. Saturday night was one twenty to one nineteen. Um, you know they played a game against the Knicks recently that was one twenty six to one seventeen or something like that. Um, it's, you know, part of it is just the NBA and the way the NBA is being played. Uh, they've got to get better um, on defense right now. And and Harrell, you know, and some of the p- pieces that they have um, can th- that they've been missing can help there. I like Avdia a lot. I actually really like him as a defender. I like KCP as a defender, too. Um, I wanted to mention, too, Maryland um, opened up now, you know, the exclusive run of Big Ten the rest of the year. They had won three games going into their game last night at Iowa. They had beaten a ranked team in Florida, um, in Brooklyn, a few weeks back. And then they had beaten, like, Brown and Lehigh. Um, And they went into the game last night as nearly a double-digit underdog against a pretty good Iowa team, uh, an experienced Iowa team for sure. And they played really well. I was really surprised at how well they played. Fats Russell was outstanding last night. They got down 12 early, and he really sparked the comeback. Um, Eric Ayala had another really solid game for them. Uh, you know, uh, Wahab, the, the biggest issue with Wahab, the center, Tommy, 
He's one of these big guys. He just, you know, he gets way too comfortable in the post when he's being doubled. The ball comes down. He puts it on the floor. So he ended up with, you know, a a couple of, of key turnovers you know, turnovers that big guys will have every once in a while, but you can't have. You, you know, you're big. You can't bring the ball down to the level of smaller players. Um, uh, really, the only issue with them last night was their transition defense early. Uh, Keegan Murray, who is a sophomore for Iowa, a 6'8", 230-pound forward, is the leading scorer in the country. Um, which surprised me, to be honest with you. I barely remembered him from last year's Iowa team, which was really good with Luca Garza, et cetera. Um, right. This is his coming out party this year. He's averaging 24.5 points per game. He hit 35 last night, and Maryland couldn't stop him. But Maryland built a lead. They were up four at halftime. They went up by as many as five in the second half. The big thing for them last night really is they missed a lot of wide-open threes that could have been big. And they were 10 of 17 from the free throw line. And that really, uh, really hurt them uh, last night. Um, uh, Ayala had a chance at 78-75 after they fouled intentionally with four seconds to go um, to either make the first, intentionally miss the second, or make both of them and extend the game with 4.3 or whatever was left. And he missed the first free throw, and then they intentionally missed the second one. So those were big free throws. If you could have knocked them both down, it would have been, you know, it would have been 78 to 77 with four and a half seconds to go. And, you know, who knows? I mean, it's still probably they're still going to have to foul. Um, but uh, they played really well. You know, they're not as talented as I think some people thought, and maybe I thought, although I didn't know what these transfers would be. Um, but, you know, they were picked pretty much fourth or fifth. They were a preseason-ranked, you know, team, 20th or 21st or whatever they were ranked preseason. They've got veterans. They've got some good players. They're going to win some games. And then the last thing I'll just say about Maryland's the game, for those of you that tweeted me and said, whoa, Shin, did you check out the second the, the adjustments that Danny Manning was making in-game? Um, yeah. And? As if Turgeon didn't make in-game adjustments. You guys are you're on crack. Turgeon was switching all the time defensively. The 2-2-1 full court was put in by Turgeon. He used that a lot. He played a lot of zone in recent years. You know, switching from that 3-2 back to man to an occasional 2-3 to an occasional 1-3-1, which they've played um, with Aaron Wiggins, you know, at the top, uh, uh, you know, or, or Jake Lehman before that. Um, please, if you don't know any what you're talking about, it's okay. But don't throw out something stupid like Danny Manning is making in-game adjustments and Turgeon never did. It's just stupid. Um, but I was impressed with them last night. Of course, it doesn't get easier. They play at Illinois Thursday night and then come home Sunday night against Wisconsin, who just knocked off the number three team in the country on the road last night, Purdue. Um Big Ten is a gauntlet, man. It really is. Yeah, uh, it is. All right, last thing. Did you hear what Joe Judge said? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Okay, so. My God, that's a, one, one soul is about being a Washington fan is you, you can look at the Giants and say, well, look what they have to deal with. So, I, exactly. I talked about what he said. It was an 11-minute rant after the game uh, in Chicago on Sunday where they got absolutely annihilated. 
where they completely tapped out. They didn't even try. They threw 11 passes in a game for 24 gross yards, negative 10 yards passing as a team stat when you factor in the 34 yards lost on sacks. It was an abysmal, horrendous performance. It was unprofessional as a performance. So he ranted for 11 minutes. He talked about how his team is together, how you'd never see his team tap out, about how players have bought in, about how players show up and they come to work. And he's talking in that Philadelphia accent where he's from. He's like, you know, you don't know what we've got here in our building. You don't know what we what yeah. we've got in our building. You know, I you don't know. I mean, the guy the guy just sounded like a complete not because he's from Philly. I love, by the way, the South Jersey Philly accent. I love it. But he just sounded the entire time like a total rube, a rube, and a sensitive, you know, soft Nancy rube, too. Like he was so hurt that anybody had the gall to criticize his team after they had lost their fifth straight in the uh, fifth straight and he had been blown out without even trying to win. At one point, Tommy, listen to what he admitted. He admitted, he goes, I get a dozen emails a day. Half of them are really positive. Half of them are really negative. But this is New York. I understand. It comes with the territory. You want to boo me? Go ahead. I, right, I, right. you know, I know what I got in my building. I know what I got. Um, like, dummy, idiots like Tommy and I get 30 to 50 emails a day. You only get a dozen emails a day as the head coach of the Giants? Are you kidding me? I mean, you got big issues. Nobody Kevin. cares about your team. Kevin. What? Kevin. Yeah. Did you hear did you hear what he said? Uh, I don't know if it was the same press conference or if it was a different one where he mentioned, you know, that you don't see teammates on you don't see guys on our team fighting on the bench. Right. Well, that's what I'm going to play right now. This is the part. Okay. Yeah, this is the part. Okay. I just wanted to give everybody the whole, you know, a flavor for the whole rant. It was a very defensive, sensitive kind of rant, and he's talking about things that were just ridiculous, including, like, you know, you don't see guys bringing in golf clubs to our locker room, to which, by the way, Ryan Clark apparently said, well, nobody brings golf clubs into the locker room. Um he picked an odd time for the rant, you know, after they got their ass kicked. But this was the part that I talked about yesterday. This was the shot that he took towards the Washington football team, soon to be a Washington actual name that is plural on February 2nd. This was Joe Judge as part of that rant on Sunday afternoon. Well, this ain't a team that's having fist fights on the sidelines. This ain't some clown show organization or something else. That was the shot as part of the rant uh, on Sunday, talking about fistfights and clown show organizations. Uh, a dir- uh, not an indirect, a direct swipe at his upcoming opponent. What did you think? Absolutely. And you know what you, know what you can respond to that is, you know what? We, ain't, we may be a clown show, but we're not that clown show. <laughs> yeah, I mean... S- Yes. So I, I, I talked about it a little bit, but I went and did some research because I think what he did he, he, is he awakened a few of us anyway to how bad the Giants are. Because I knew that the Giants haven't been very good, Tommy, for several years. But the this, this, this shots that he took 
about Washington, you know, by the way, he's not wrong. We all know he's not wrong. Right. Okay. Yeah. He, you know, he's. It, it, That's it, why it, I said we may be a clown show. Yeah. But we're not that clown show. Um, <laughs> it, it, the re, it's not a revelation that Washington's a clown show. Um, but what he did is he basically awakened some of us to the fact that, you know, Washington's been the default, you know, clown show, punching bag for the NFL. You know, whenever people want to get, you know, a giggle, um, they do it at the expense of Washington. You know, NFL fans or media members and certainly behind closed doors, coaches, players, team executives. I mean, they're laughing about the shit show that Dan Snyder has created um, all the time. But this idiot, Joe Judge, you know, is actually working in an organization that while it doesn't have the reputation Washington has – is more incompetent on the field, more, less productive on the field than Washington's been for a decade. Tommy, I went back and pulled the numbers. He brought this to my attention. I knew the Giants were on a bad run, but still I think of them as they won two Super Bowls with Coughlin not that long ago, you know? But his dumbass comments made people like me go back and look this stuff up. This guy, first of all, is 10-22 and 22 in two years. All right, That's tied with Matt Rule for the worst of all the coaches, the new coaches that entered the 2020 season. Um, but more than that, the Giants, since winning their last Super Bowl, which is now 10 years ago, they've got the worst record in the NFC, the worst record in the NFC East, worse than Washington's. They're 61-99, 61 and 99, Washington during that same stretch is 64, 95 and 1. I would have absolutely guessed that Washington had the worst record over the last decade. Not only that, the Giants have had only one playoff appearance in 10 years, zero division titles, zero playoff wins, and four different coaches, including three in the last five years. They have been embarrassingly horrendous, the worst in the division on the field. Washington, 64-95-1 better, three trips to the playoffs, three division titles, right? They won one in 2012, they won one in 2015, and they won one last year. They don't have any playoff wins either, but the results are better than New York's. I think this moron essentially highlighted just how bad his organization is. Like, they're every bit the clown show on the field anyway that Washington's been. And... Yes, they are. Yeah, I mean he is a moron. You gotta, I mean you gotta, you, you gotta wonder how him or Gettleman is gonna survive. Well, Mara's expressed his desire to bring him back. John Mara has said over and over again, Joe Judge is my guy. I am a hundred percent behind Joe Judge. I'm a big believer. I think Mara's falling for this mean face, tough talk, you know, guy, you know, fake tough talk guy. Like this is what he is. Remember, this is a guy. Okay who made his team run run wind sprints after a fight in training camp. You know, I'm Johnny Tough Guy Coach. Um, he didn't have a pair of cleats that fit his first-round draft choice when the first-round draft choice showed up for the first day of minicamp. Uh, he fired his offensive coordinator in season, and the offense has gotten exponentially worse. Uh, this guy, I hope John Mara loves him. 
You know, like we, like yeah. do, like what what Doc would always say about Jason Garrett. I hope Jerry keeps Jason Garrett. It's much better for everybody else in the division if Joe Judge continues to coach the Giants. Now, in all seriousness, by the way, I have no idea if he's a good coach or not. I don't think he's Tom Coughlin. Um, but that is not Belichickian to start running your mouth as long as he did after an ass-kicking to the tune of 26 points in Chicago with negative 10 passing yards. Negative 10, the least amount in like 100 years of professional football. You know, now you realize this whole rant of yours goes out the window if Washington loses to this team No, it doesn't. Stop it. Oh, it does. Oh, bullshit. Out the window. Oh, come on. Why? Out the window. Why? If they lose to that team, that, that, with that coach, the way you described him, then, then out, gone, finished. Look. You shouldn't even be allowed to say a word <laughs> about the Giants ever again. <laughs> well, look, they already, let's not forget, lost to Washington when they're Special teams, which, by the way, do you know what he coached in New England under Belichick for many years? Yes, I know. Special Special teams. teams. And they jumped off sides on a game-missed field goal. And Dustin Hopkins got the other opportunity. So maybe maybe Sunday doesn't mean anything. We can just go back to week two. Um, But no, um, it, it doesn't change anything related to this rant because it's dumb. You know, there's no way Belichick would have ever, ever... First of all, he would have never given a rant like this. Secondly, after an ass-kicking, after a fifth straight loss where their margin of defeat is an average of 18 points, where his team, by the way, Brendan, my my producer on radio, pulled the soundbite from a year ago. When Washington beat Philadelphia, when Doug Peterson tanked or was ordered to tank in the second half by putting Nate Sudfeld in uh, to that game, um, he went on a rant the next day saying, you'll never see something like this with one of my teams. <laughs> and on Sunday in Chicago, they're down double digits almost before the game started. They threw the ball 11 times. I mean, you talk about surrendering. What a tap-out job that was. What game have you ever seen other than terrible weather conditions where a team's getting their ass kicked and they're not throwing the football? Oh, uh, you know, Kevin, if Washington loses on Sunday, you're going to have to come in on Monday and say, never mind. No, I wouldn't. It has nothing to do with his stupid-ass rant. Who, who rants like that after an absolute ass-kicking? And who loses to an idiot like that? <laughs> Look, this is not by the way, any sort of declaration on Washington being like a much better franchise. I'm not suggesting that. I am just pointing out that until I looked it up, which he gave me reason to do it, I didn't realize how bad the Giants have been for the last decade. Did you know? Yeah, I had an idea. I knew, really? I knew they were You thought bad. they were worse yeah. than Washington record-wise? I would have never guessed that. I thought, they, I thought they could be. They don't have the same off-field issues. That Washington does. So the, the spotlight isn't as glaring. Let me just point out 
that the coach Ron Rivera, like Jay Gruden did years ago oh, for a meaningless read, Giants game, I read what you tweeted. Has 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 oh. called this the character game. Basically, <laughs> this is this is this is where this is where you're going to see their character. So if they lose on Sunday, then this whole culture change, mm-hmm. this whole building of character. Flush down the toilet. So let me flush flip, right down the toilet. So let me flip it around on you, Mister Flip Around. If they win the game, do you declare that the culture has been repaired? That they've got a great culture because they beat well, the Giants in a Ron, meaningful and a meaningless game in Week 18. It will show that they're not going in the wrong direction. Really? Now, yeah. I I think Sunday's game showed that. I think Sunday's game was a big test against Philadelphia because they got beat in embarrassing fashion on national TV to an arch rival, 56-14. Yeah, they to did, and they responded. And they played they a really solid game, which I expected them to do. As far as this game on Sunday... everybody out. As far as this game Sunday, no. This is a character game. Character game. These games are never character games. That's you know, what the coach says. Well... So if it's a character game, let's see let's see who ends up playing the whole game. Um but again, so if they win it, the the culture's totally it's a 180 on the culture. You're going to be all in no, I didn't on say the that. culture. Oh. It's not, it's not ta- it's not going in the wrong direction. Oh, okay. So you'll you'll declare that it's going in the right direction if they beat the Giants on Sunday. It's not going in the wrong direction. They're two different things. <laughs> okay. So it's at least neutral. It's spinning its wheels at least instead of going backwards. You'll at least say that. Yes. Okay. Let me be clear. There is no result Sunday that could make me think any differently than the way I feel right now about this football team. Zero result that could change the way I feel right now. These games are oh, the most meaningless. Sunday's game was meaningful to me. Sunday's game was a big deal, and like they did last year and like they did this year, two and six after the bye week, I think that his players do respond. I think the normal thought for players um, in these kinds of games in the final week of the season is, you know, is my my, uh, B&B, is my Airbnb in Turks and Caicos going to be ready for me on Monday or Tuesday? That's what I think most of them are thinking about. And I don't think that's a reflection of, of the coach or the culture. Okay. Um, you got anything else? Are you about to head to a, a, one of those bars on the beach and drink some beers and smoke some cigars? That would be the plan. Although it's not that warm today. I may wait till tomorrow because it's supposed to be 68 and sunny tomorrow. We got another snowstorm yeah. heading our way for Thursday night. You really got out of town just in time. All right. Uh, well, I, I deserve it. See you. We'll talk to you on Thursday. All right, boss. Back tomorrow, everybody.